From Two Moms Media and Your Daily Local in Warren, PA, this is Smoke, The Disappearance of Damien Sharp. On September 28, 2002, Damien's mother, Janine Shanahan, hired private investigator John Herzog to investigate her son's disappearance. By Sunday, March 16th of 2003, Herzog was conducting interviews with the City of Warren Police Department. That day, he and then-patrolman Anthony Comenti interviewed Damien's stepmother, Stacy Sharp, at the department. Stacy told Herzog and Comenti that Damien had only lived with her and Damien's dad, Skip, for about three months after returning home from the Army in July. Though she and Skip had been married for 16 years at that point, she said, they were by then separated. She separated from Skip the first week of June 2002, she told them. During the short time he lived with them, Stacy said in that interview, Damien was drinking and acting weird. Stacy said she knew when he got home that Damien was drinking, but that she didn't think he was on drugs, though he had told her in the past that his best friend Dave was into them. Stacy talked about how Dana was Damien's cool aunt, but said that Dana had never mentioned thinking that Damien was on drugs. There were a lot of questions about drugs asked in this interview. Stacy told Comenti and Herzog that Stephen and Damien didn't get along well right up until Damien left for the military, adding that arguments over girls had been an issue between them in the past. This is something Stephen confirmed to me in phone conversations last year. Numerous times when we spoke, I'd hear Stephen pause or I'd hear his voice crack a bit as he described his relationship with Damien, always reiterating that it was when Damien got back from the military that the two had a heart-to-heart working out many of their past issues. It was like I finally had this brother relationship with him, and then he was gone, Stephen told me more than once. Stacy went on in that March 2003 interview to bring up a person close to Damien whose death hit him hard. Ashley was four years younger than Damien, 17 when she died in September of 2001. And although there's wide disagreement regarding the nature of her relationship with Damien, It's known that they weren't dating at the time of her death. Ashley was engaged to someone else at that point, but she and Damien had remained friends. Damien's closeness to Ashley, though, is uncontested. He was closer to her than other people, even the many girls who seemed to always be around him. If you didn't listen to season one, you need to know that Damien was the type of guy around whom women felt safe. They often came to Damien's place to avoid drama with boyfriends or when they just needed a break from the world. So while Damien was known as a fighter among the guys, he was seen as a protector by a lot of women. Here's Damien's friend Danica with that memory. I I do have to say that Damien was definitely more for women. He was a very sweet guy to ladies, you know. Um, I have a story that's kind of strange. Um, My parents' bathroom, they were doing work on their shower. So I couldn't take a shower at my mom's house. And I'm like, shit, I have to go to work, you know? And he's like, come over. He's like, you can take a shower at my house. I'm like, uh, I don't know. What does that mean? All right. (laughs) Really? (laughs) So I, I did. I went over to his house and I used his shower. And surprisingly, he was such a gentleman. He never, like, tried to play peeping Tom or anything. There were no holes poked around anywhere or anything. No, he was really nice about it. And, like, you know, it was my mom was even like, I don't know why everybody says he's such a strange kid. I like him so 
It's so nice. It seems like <laughs> I had someone tell me that he asked in March of 2003 where Damien's things were. I mean, he'd been missing for almost a year by this point. His apartment had long since been cleaned out and undoubtedly re-rented. Stacy told investigators that all of it, including pictures of Ashley, were being kept in Skip's attic. Damien called her his death bride, Stacy told investigators. Rumors about Ashley and Damien abound in Warren, and to avoid adding to that for Ashley's family, I want to be really clear in saying that none of them are based in any fact that any of us working on this case can find. Damien did not kill Ashley, though that rumor tends to go around a lot, and there's absolutely no evidence that Ashley's family had anything to do with Damien's disappearance. So I'd like to emphatically state that we are only discussing Ashley in this show in relation to how much she meant to Damien. I invite you to keep Ashley and her family out of any conversations you have from here on out regarding Damien's case. Ashley is not related to the case, except that she mattered to Damien. Damien's Aunt Dana talked to me about taking him to Ashley's funeral when I interviewed her last year. If you're just jumping into the story, here's Dana remembering that day. You know, I remember one time Damien had a very close friend pass away, Ashley, and um, he came to me. And so for three, four days, I did nothing, but I drove Damien around where he needed to go. We got him something nice to wear. Uh, I remember taking him to Perkins with his friends, you know, um, and, you know, just being there. And I remember taking him into the, the funeral home and like people stopped and it was like, oh, there's Damien, Damien, you know, and everybody whispering and everything like that. I mean, they were very close, very, very close. I don't under, I don't know the whole dynamic of their friendship. I, you know, I was having kids and, you know, living my life then. Um, but it was just so hard for him. But I remember he was... Recall that Stacy's interview took place on March 16th of 2003. Ten days later, someone brought a tip to the City of Warren Police Department, and they were also interviewed by Herzog and Comenti. That tip would be filed away for 20 years, and we'll get to that tip later in this season. But for now, we really want to get back to how Herzog wound up interviewing folks from Damien's family when it was originally members of Damien's family who hired him due to satisfaction with the police investigation. At the beginning of the show, before I ever even reached out to Damien's family, I did some basic YouTube investigation and came across Janine's interview from several years into it. I'll leave a link in the show notes. You should check that out. A bunch of things that turned out to be major elements of Damien's mystery were alluded to in that interview, but not fully fleshed out. And this interview is one of only a handful that exists in the public domain where Janine can be heard discussing her experience of the case for herself. It's pretty powerful to listen to if you've been following along so far. Janine mentioned in that video that a lawyer's son was questioned. So that was an easy one for me to start piecing out. I graduated from the same high school Damien did. I graduated in 2001. I can name five or six lawyers kids I remembered from back in my day. So from there, a quick stop at the Pennsylvania Unified Judicial System case search portal with those names, see who might have been running in the same paths as Damien when he went missing, was an easy thing to do. Another thing that Janine hinted at was that Herzog had somehow failed at the case or let her down. He wasn't able to get any information, she said. I knew his notes would be a main piece of documentation to work toward getting a look at, even in the beginning. 
Something just told me that for the finer details we'd need to sift through to make any progress, Herzog's notes would be invaluable. And they are. Try as I did last season, the one thing I couldn't deliver was a strong, coherent timeline of who Damien saw and where he went that night and when. I know who he was supposed to have seen, but whether any of those people had ever been questioned and where the records of those interviews were was as much a mystery to me as Damien himself. I spoke with Damien's best friend, Dave. I spoke with his brother, Stephen, and Patrick, kid who paid Damien around $900 for a pound of weed. I also spoke to Damien's longtime friend, Mike, who was there that night and initially offered a little bit of back and forth, but then never quite followed through on making a time to sit down and talk more formally. Until he did. Eventually, Mike came up with a plan for a 30-minute interview in exchange for $45. The fact is, he may as well have been asking me for $450,000 or 45 cents for all I care because I'm an ethical journalist and I don't pay for interviews, which I explained to him at that time. But, you know, it's funny because another thing Janine said in that YouTube video, well, here, just listen for yourself. Just you think he would know. Where exactly did he drop him off? What house did he drop him off at? All he kept saying is, I don't know. Damien's friends really didn't say much. I guess the Warren police and even myself scared them. How can they not know? Oh, yeah, they knew something. They wouldn't talk to the police, the parents. If one of Damien's friends came up missing, I'd be dragging him right by the arm down to the police station saying, you tell what you know. Um, Parents would say, my kid is underage and does not need to talk to you. Parents weren't bringing the kids. The kids weren't giving any information. Um, My private detective, Herzog, that I hired, he couldn't get any information I always have had a problem with any of the friends or even their parents. Why, if they weren't involved, why, why can't they talk to me? Or why can't they talk to the police? Whoever did this either had an upper hand somehow or something happened. I, I don't know and I don't know how to explain it. We know that John Herzog was hired by Janine on September 28th, 2002, and the last entry in those notes that we've seen was for Stacy's interview on March 16th, 2003. We know that Herzog also participated in at least that one interview afterwards, 10 days later. So if Herzog worked this case for six months, how did the family get no information back in return? He got lots of information from Janine, Dana, and Shirley that Saturday, September 28th in 2002. At 9.15 that morning, Herzog left his home in Sheffield and drove to the home of Damien's grandmother, Shirley Allred, where he met with Dana and Janine as well. Janine Shanahan advised me that she was going to hire me to investigate the disappearance of her son, Herzog writes. I had Janine sign a release saying that I had been hired to investigate this incident. Both Allred and Kibbe witnessed this form. Paperwork signed, the three told Herzog that Damien lived on Cedar Street with his brother, Stephen, until about a month before he went missing. At that time, they said Stephen moved out with his girlfriend. 
who'd also shared their place. Stephen confirmed all this for me last year. Furthermore, they told Herzog, he should talk to Damien's best friend, Dave. Both Stephen and Dave were working at Worley Industries in Warren. Stephen, they said, was working 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Dave was on the 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. shift. Damien had already been missing for four months, and plenty of chatter had muddied the waters for both the family and the police by that point. Still, Janine and Dana tried to recount how they wound up at the police station around 11.30 on a Monday night, ten days after Damien had last been seen by friends. There had been a party at Damien's apartment on Friday night, Herzog writes, noting that among those in attendance were Bryce, Mike, Dave, and Jim Sarver, who within 24 hours of it would be the last person willing to admit to having seen Damien that Saturday evening. The plan, the women told Herzog, as they understood it, was that, quote, they were all going to meet at Damien's apartment at a set time. Damien went to the skate park and talked with his brother and also met with a guy by the name of Pat. Pat gave Damien $800 to $1,000 to buy him some weed, and Damien went to the residence of Jim Sarver where he bought coke instead of weed, writes Herzog. Let's take a step back here. One of the things that makes this case so frustrating is that it's hard to tell what Damien was actually at Jim's place to buy that night. The sequence of events is uncontested by anyone up to that point, though everyone has slightly different detailed recollections. Either way, Damien definitely caught a ride with Bryce to Jim's place, and he definitely went there to buy something. At that point, the family recounted to Herzog what they had been told Sarver told police that Damien made one phone call from the apartment before leaving, $100 short of what he owed for whatever he got. All this information the family is giving to Herzog at this point has come to them through a multitude of channels, including from random tips people brought to them, from public conversation, private conversation, and from what pieces of information law enforcement had shared with them at that point. It was only four months in, and already it's hard to tell exactly what Damien was up to that night exactly how much money he had, exactly why he went to Jim's, for what, and how he planned to get home afterward. But this is what the family had to give Herzog at the time, and I'd have laid it all on him too. I still would, to be honest, though. I'm not sure how effective most actual investigators would find my method, which is sort of adapted from folklore field study protocol. Record everything. I was super practical in my college scheduling. <laughs> Anyhow. The women told Herzog it wasn't until June 1st when Dave, Damien's best friend, called Stacy to tell her that he was concerned that he hadn't seen Damien since May 25th. It's problematic that Herzog interviewed Dana about that night a year before he did Stacy, since they were the first two people in the apartment to investigate anything. It would be so much better to have had them both together in September when he gathered Dana's statement. Why he did not go straight to Stacy first for more information, I'm not sure. I tried to speak with Stacy early in this project, but she's not returned any messages or reached out to me. Stacy, if you're listening, I'd still love to talk to you, even if you don't want to be involved in this project. Anything you remember, even off the record, about that time could help me. Either way, I'm going to go back and forth between Stacy's 2003 statement and Dana's 2002 statement, so it's about to get choppy. Welcome to my nightmare, is all I can tell you. Here we go. In 2003, Stacy told Herzog that, quote, David called and said that he hadn't seen Damien in a week and that he was worried about him. Dana and I got a key from Stephen Jr. and went to the apartment. The apartment was a mess, garbage, clothes all over the place. 
Dana confirmed some of these details in her initial statement to Herzog the previous September. Dana said at that time that she and Stacy, quote, went to Damien's apartment in Warren and checked around. There were five or so garbage bags in the closet. They smelled really bad. The light was on in the bathroom. Stephen came in with his girlfriend to pick up his mail. Stephen told us that he had kicked two boys, Bryce and Mike, out the first of the week. Stephen said that the two boys were kind of living there because Damien had not come home. Stephen told them to leave and not come back. One of the things Janine talked about in that video from earlier caught my attention as strongly as her mention of a lawyer's son being questioned had done. Check this out. My sister Dana called me and said, have you heard from Damien? And I said, no, why? What did you hear? I've been calling him. Oh my God. Did he call you? No. We went down to his apartment. There's a lot of notes on the door asking why he's not getting a hold of anybody. I said, what are you telling me that I don't know? She said, well, it was at Damien's house. The phone rang and I answered it. And it was a young guy that said, you might want to check the jails or the hospitals. Well, Dana then called me and came up and got me at 10 o'clock at night. And we went to Warren Police. Both Dana and Stacy recalled this to Herzog. Said Dana, while we were at the apartment, the phone rang and it was Albert. He said that he loaned Damien $45 and he was concerned about Damien and that he had come over to the house and left a note. Albert told Dana, she said, that she should probably check with the jail. And then he said something like $700 or $900 is not a lot of money for the trouble it would cause. Stacy, in her statement, corroborated this, saying Albert called and said something about what Damien was doing was not worth it. At that point, both women told Herzog they left the apartment. Dana told him that she took the apartment key with her. Stacy goes into a bit more detail on leaving. As we were leaving, she told Herzog, we met Dave at the bottom of the steps, and he was higher than a kite. Dave said that Damien left one night and was supposed to come back to the apartment, but didn't. Steven said that he went back to Damien's apartment a couple days later, and there were two kids there. He kicked them out and took a key away from them. If ever there were a shell game, it is this apartment key, you guys. Stacy said she thought it was odd about Dave calling and saying he hadn't seen him in a week. We're going to take a quick break, but you need to understand this is just the first time that family went into that apartment. The second time they went into that apartment was when Janine and Dana took the police there three days after Dana and Stacy had been in there checking things out. And a lot changed in between there, too. Shirley Allred told Herzog on that September 28th morning that, quote, She had stopped at the apartment on Monday, the 27th, and when she went into the apartment, the light was on in the bathroom, but no one was around. Allred advised that she thought Damien was just out somewhere and left. I doubt that Shirley had a key to Damien's apartment, especially that early on in the process. Remember, this is the Monday after Damien went missing. It was the following Saturday when Dave called Stacy and she and Dana went there to check things out. Another three days before Dana and Janine went to the police. In that time, the apartment was locked, unlocked, keys were in all kinds of different hands. People were staying there, not staying there. When we get back from the break, we're gonna talk about what police found and did not find in the apartment when they got there. Stay tuned, kids. We'll catch you on the other side.
Herzog's notes are revelatory in ways I hoped Damien's DD-214 would be. Not necessarily because they clear up the inconsistencies between everyone's statements about the weekend Damien went missing. Bryce, Dave, and Stephen all gave information to Herzog that would require some stitching together to make a coherent narrative out of. Everyone had their own memories of that day, obviously, because they weren't all sitting there waiting for Damien to get back. Even if they had been, their memories would inevitably diverge on one or more detail. That's the nature of memory. What Herzog's notes provide to me more than anything is his experience of those interviews and his experience of investigating the case, which, to me, tell a whole lot as someone who's been in shoes similar to his these past two years. I have lots of questions about investigative choices and strategies Herzog used. Not all critical. I'm here to learn, after all. I'm just a really nosy lady with too much time on her hands, after all. These are my professionals from whom I stand to learn. You bet I've read through these notes not just with an eye for a detail that might solve the mystery, but also for teachable moments, both for Herzog and through extrapolation for myself. I'm going to break out all the statements Herzog collected that I have with me in the following episodes. Today, though, we really need to get through the rest of what Herzog documented about the day Dana and Janine brought the police to Damien's house. So just to recap, it went down like this. Friday, May 24th, Damien had a party at his Cedar Street apartment. Saturday, May 25th, Damien went on a high ride with his friend Danica and then went to the skate park to visit Stephen, who worked there that May. Here's Danica remembering that ride. Tell me what he was like that morning when you picked him up. Happy. He was happy? Yeah. Excited well, she about was excited because now they were going to a party. Everybody was, you know, thrilled about going to that party. That and I'm, I'm sure Gibstock, but I, he didn't go to Gibstock. Okay. I don't think it was that year, though. I think it was a different year. It may have been But... Um, he was pretty happy. I mean, of course, we were driving around doing stuff we weren't supposed to because we were kids. Yeah. You know, we would have been, what, 21? Mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. Something like that. Um, like, fresh newbie drinkers mm -hmm. the day after a huge hangover, let's pick people up and go for a high ride. Yeah. Know? So let's go smoke a bunch of weed in the woods, come back, and whatever, we split ways. And, mm -hmm. and that's what it was. Yeah, that's yeah. what it was. That's, I never, never saw him. It's so No, I remember, I remember waving to him saying, see you later. Mm -hmm. You know, and he was walking up his hill and going to his house. Okay. That's it. That's all that's it. That's all Yeah. After he saw Steven at Master Skater, Damien met up with Bryce, Mike, and Patrick, who gave Damien money to buy some drugs. What kind of drugs are unclear? Could have been weed, could have been coke, we just don't know. Either way, after he got that money, Bryce drove Damien to the corner of Dahl and Prospect late Saturday afternoon and left him off, taking Damien's key and returning to the Cedar Street apartment to wait for Damien to come back with whatever he'd procured from Jim. By late Saturday night, May 25th, Damien hadn't returned and numerous people who'd made plans to meet up with him by then including Jim Sarver, the last person we know he saw that day, were looking for him. We know that Monday, May 27th, Damien's grandma, Shirley Allred, popped into Damien's place and found the bathroom light on, but no one around. Assuming Damien was out somewhere, Allred said she left. Stephen told me in our conversations last year that he went back to the apartment numerous times to check on things. He said he got out of work that evening, 
and went to the Cedar Street apartment planning to party, as he'd discussed with Damien at Master Skater earlier. When he got there, he said the door was locked and Bryce and Mike were sitting on the front porch waiting for Damien. Stephen told me he had a key, so he let them in and they waited around for Damien to get back. After a few hours, he told me, Stephen made Bryce and Mike leave because he was going out for a bit and he didn't want them there unsupervised. He came back a few hours later, he said, to find the two of them sitting on the porch again waiting for Damien to show up. At that point, he told the boys to go home. This, he thought, was around 9 or 10 that Saturday night. Believing he was the only person with a key, Stephen told me, he put a piece of paper in the door and locked it up. Stephen said when we spoke that first time, when he ran all this down for me in the greatest detail, that he slept at Damien's that night, and on Sunday morning, May 26th, it was apparent to him that no one had come or gone. The paper was still where he left it in the door, and he told me that throughout that Sunday, he came and went, hoping to find it moved or gone, indicating that someone else had been around. No luck, Stephen said, but to the best of his knowledge, he was the only person there unsupervised after he kicked Bryce and Mike out Saturday night. The only thing that kept showing up was more and more notes from more and more people trying to get a hold of Damien. So, Stephen told me, he called Skip on Monday, May 27th, to say something was wrong. Stephen went on to say that the family, including himself, were told that they had to wait two weeks to report an adult missing, and that was why, he said, it wasn't until June 3rd that the official first record of Damien's disappearance was made at the City of Warren PD. He also told me that when he talked to his dad, Skip, Skip warned that they needed to give it a little time. Damien would be angry, Stephen said Skip told him, if he turned back up and the cops were involved. This account of Stephen's, that he contacted family members on Monday, May 27th, has never come up with any other family members to me. Skip isn't here to talk about it. Dana, Anziette, and Stacy have all stated publicly that the first time they knew something was wrong was when Damien's friend Dave called his stepmom, Stacy, on Saturday, June 1st. All I'm saying is that this is a different story than I get elsewhere. I like different stories, but the work is in finding out how they fit in with everything else. It's important to keep in mind, too, that as one person recently reminded me, the family could have told Herzog anything. That's absolutely true, but being a mom, regardless of how close I am to my kids, I know I'm not going to manufacture details or conceal any to save my own ego. I'm not every mom. I know. I'm just saying. You can call that my investigative bias, I guess. Everything I'm sharing with you this season needs to be taken within its context, and one contextual box it all shares is that it's unproven. Even taken with that grain of salt, though, Herzog's notes are the closest, apparently independently documented details to the inciting incident for our story, Damien's disappearance. So, okay, let's do a quick inventory of what we know, what we think, what we're totally lost on. By we, I mean me obviously, but if you have something you feel should go in this section that's not here, reach out to me at 814-230-5855. Text me, please. Or better yet, visit anchor.fm slash letsfinddamian slash message. You can leave me a voicemail that I can put into future shows and question and answer segments so I can cover it for you. It's like in school, you guys. There are no stupid questions. And if anyone laughs at you for asking one, I'll write their ass up. I got you. All right. We know Damien's last seen exiting Bryce's car at the corner of Prospect and Doll Streets on the afternoon of Saturday, May 25th. He went to Jim Sarver's apartment on Prospect Street. He was supposed to come back to his apartment on Cedar Street later that evening, and he never did. Here's what I wonder. I think Damien's apartment key makes a reasonable collateral to give someone if you've got 900 of their dollars and they're waiting for you to turn it into some drugs. 
Given the situational variables here, sure, okay. Reasonable to suspect that Damien gave his key to Bryce. What I also think, though, is that it's more reasonable to suspect that Damien planned to have, if not Bryce, someone else pick him up. He was walking on crutches. He at least wanted the ride there if he didn't need it outright. Here's what I don't get about that part of it all. Why would Damien have chosen to walk on crutches 0.6 miles? That's 10 minutes on two good legs back to his place carrying a significant amount of illegal extra weight in that backpack. Dave says in later statements to Herzog that Damien had done this before. Drop me off here, pick me up here in about 15 minutes. That's your basic drug deal, you guys. Why deviate from that for this? We know that the official first report of Damien's disappearance was made at the City of Warren Police Department on Monday, June 3rd, 10 days after Damien was last seen by Jim Sarver. We know the family was alerted to Damien's disappearance on Saturday, June 1st by his best friend Dave, who called Damien's stepmom Stacy. We know that Stacy called Damien's aunt Dana, and we know that the two of them went to Damien's apartment that day to see what they could figure out, if anything. We know that they went to the apartment to find a physical mess, like a better homes and gardens type of mess, though, not necessarily a pounds of coke and weed party kind of mess. Dana told investigators that there was no sign of a party at which drugs were present, specifically citing a lack of cocaine-related paraphernalia, like mirrors and powder or residue, but this was also now nine days after the last party at which drugs may have been present was said to have happened there. We know that between that Friday, May 24th party and Saturday, June 1st, several people were in and out of the apartment, including Stephen, Bryce, and Mike, as well as Damien's grandma, Shirley Allred, who stopped by on Monday, May 27th, countering nothing but a lit bathroom light and the total absence of anyone around at all, including Damien. Here's what I think of that. I think it's problematic that the exact custody of Damien's apartment key is claimed by numerous people while at the same time, Grandma Allred is able to walk in, presumably without a key at all, on a random Monday. I think it's problematic that Skip is not around to say either, yes, I totally told Steven that we should definitely not report this to police because I thought Damien would be back and I thought he'd be pissed off if the cops were involved when he got here. Or no, the first I heard of any of this was when Stacy told me after Dave called. Skip was driving truck that week, I do know that, and he wasn't in town. That's why Dana and Stacy went without him the first time on June 1st. Because 10 days is a long time to wait to notify somebody's family that you haven't seen them. But especially if it's your brother and you're sleeping at his apartment during the time he's unaccounted for. That's going to be an unpopular opinion among some folks. I'm aware of that, but that's where I'm at with it. Being unable to corroborate that with Skip, I'll continue to seek out documentation on it. But honestly, I have to assume, given the volume of information on the topic, that Dave did call Stacy on Saturday, June 1st, and that's the first time anyone in Damien's family, other than Stephen, knew something was wrong. I'm open to being proven completely wrong on that. I'm super open. Hit me with anything you got. For real. Anybody. Dana and Janine talked to Herzog, too, that September about what they found in the apartment when they got there with the police. Herzog documents what they told him in that notation. On Monday, June 3rd, we went to the Warren City Police and we signed the missing person report. The police came to the apartment and looked around. The toilet had not been flushed and there were several notes hung on the door and around. There were some small marijuana plants in the bathroom that were dead and a bunch of seeds that the police said just to throw them away. There were no signs of a large drug party that they said happened on Friday night. We didn't find any mirrors. There were no scales. We didn't find any powder on any of the tabletops. We found no resin. 
I'm no angel. I know what to look for. And it wasn't there, Jadine told Herzog. Then this one line in Herzog's notes feels unattributed. I can't tell whether it's Herzog wondering this or just something Janine said that he documented right along with the rest. That's the hardest thing about his notes. They're written from his perspective and they go back and forth between times and dates, weaving between situations from Damien's early childhood all the way to the day he disappeared. Some of the notes are his thoughts. Some of them are statements from other people. It's a lot of piecing through. Anyway, this one line, he writes, quote, Did someone clean this place up? And I don't mean a house cleaning because the place was a mess, but no sign of any drug parties, end quote. One of the things Janine said in that earlier video, yes, I'm going to reference it again, calm down, was that the police wouldn't take her and Dana seriously until they said they thought Damien's disappearance might have something to do with drugs. A lot of people feel the family removed items from that apartment that would have cast Damien in a negative light to police before they brought the police over to see the apartment. Repeatedly in his notes, wherever Herzog encounters a family member, even as late as 2003 and even with Stacy, who told Herzog in her interview that she was only ever at Damien's place once that night and it was for 15 minutes, about whether or not they saw or removed any mirrors or any other drug paraphernalia and whether they themselves did drugs. I don't know whether there were any mirrors and coke at that party, but I do know that the women told Herzog in September of 2002 that there were pot plants in the apartment that the police said to throw away. I feel like if the family had gone to the trouble of removing anything from the apartment that would indicate a drug problem to police, it would probably have been a good idea to remove the pot plants as well and not tell Herzog about them. I brought this up to someone in law enforcement who reminded me that the cleaning of the apartment was mentioned in the initial report also. And also last year, when I interviewed the current chief of police, Joe Spraveri, he himself said that the case was sabotaged from the beginning by the cleaning of the apartment. The family, this person told me, could have told Herzog anything. That's true. What's weird as hell about this entry in Herzog's inaugural note, though, is that the very first person I ever called on Damien's case, before I ever even reached out to family, was Damien's old landlord. I never, ever thought as a kid that things like property tax assessment databases would do it for me, but damn... Adult life is weird. I'm totally into assessment records. They're hot. They tell me so many things like who bought a place when and who owned it when the people I'm interested in lived there. Landlords are great people to go to if you want a review of a person that's not redacted by kindness. A couple named the Becks bought Damien Cedar Street Place on December 30th, 1992 and transferred it to their son, Steve Beck, in 2006. During the time that Damien lived there, though, Steve took care of the place for his parents. I reached out to him right around two years ago now and asked if he remembered Damien, and he wasted zero seconds saying, oh yeah, I remember that kid. Okay, I said. How come? Damien was only there for a few months, maybe, Steve told me, and he was headed for an eviction. Okay, why, pray tell? He painted the living room black and he was growing pot in the entryway, Steve told me. In the entryway, huh? Okay. Yeah, the pot in the bathroom is a weird, weird detail and one I want to track down. So if you hung out with Damien around the time he went missing, if you were in that Cedar Street apartment the month before he went missing, and you know that he was trying his hand at some horticulture there on Cedar Street, please reach out and tell me that. But it still bothered me. So just to see if pot plants specifically rang a bell to anyone else aside from the landlord, I reached out to former detective Anthony Comenti. 
Tony retired last January from the police department, but he stayed open for me to check in with when I need, and I did on New Year's Eve day to ask him if he remembered those pot plants. Hey, I said, really sorry, I know it's early. I just have a question. When you went to Damien's apartment, I asked, were there pot plants in the bathroom? I mean, it was New Year's Eve day at like 8.30 a.m., and I wasn't sure if I was pushing the line at 8.30 a.m. with a retiree, but nope. Tony took a job to keep him busy, and he was there that morning. Quote, I do not remember that the house was cleaned out of anything prior to us getting in. If you recall Spravery mentioning that, Tony was right. It was the current chief who first mentioned to me that the apartment had been cleaned by family when police got there. I remember asking Dana about that the first time we talked, and she's always told me that police told them it was okay to clean out the apartment. But it was after they'd been there, not before. So this note of Herzog's about the pot plants, it's a small detail, but it's actually not. It's actually a pretty huge detail, and it's a frustrating one because I need to know if Damien was growing pot, and if not, where it came from. Before he was Sergeant Joe Bees, Joe Bees was a friend of Stevens, and he spent time at Damien's place, both the bike world and the Cedar Street apartments. I even brought up the pot plants to Joe, too, telling him that the cleaning of the apartment, that narrative was confusing and not super compelling to me. I don't ever remember any pot plants at their apartment, Joe told me, and I was there a lot. I told him I was going to work on that one little detail for a bit and see if I could determine whether it was manufactured, and if so, by whom and why. I feel like if Damien or Steve were trying their hand at growing some, I would remember that, Bees told me, especially if they were in the bathroom. Unless... Damien took that on after Stephen moved out, which is also a possibility. I'm not sure I went there after Steve moved out, Bees said. So that's your assignment this week, kids. Was Damien growing pot in the month before he disappeared? And if not, and the pot plants were actually there, where did they come from? Tony didn't endorse remembering pot plants specifically in the bathroom, the entryway, or anywhere else in the apartment when I texted him. But he also didn't feel like the apartment had been cleaned prior to his arrival either. So I guess we'll just have to wait and see if one of you, dear listeners, can help us out with this detail. The point for me out of all the notes we've discussed today remains that by the time the police got to that apartment, it had been 10 days since anyone claimed to have been doing any drugs in that apartment. And in those 10 days, the apartment's security is wildly questionable. The number of people who may have had a key at any point suggests that the apartment was open and accessible to lots of folks. The multitude of notes on the door by the time that 10 days was up People looking for Damien, trying to get money back, he owed them. We know that Albert, the guy who called the apartment while Dana and Stacy were there, left a note asking Damien to, quote, make it right. Presumably, meaning the $45 he told Dana he loaned Damien. Jim Sarver, too, left a note at Damien's store and even inquired with a neighbor, Jessica, as to whether Damien was around at some point that weekend. It's in the notes, and he told me about that himself. I spoke with Jim Sarver at length last year about Damien's case, and... I'll break what he told me out in future episodes as well. Right now, though, we're getting close to time this week, and there's something I need to talk about before we get there. Let's finish up today's episode talking about how each of these two statements made by family to private investigator John Herzog end. At the end of his initial meeting with Dana, Janine, and Shirley, Herzog documented that, quote, I advised the family that I would deal with the police, and I would advise the police that they were to deal with me. I advised the family that was the reason for the letter. The family also requested that a photo of Sarver be obtained. Because of his violence, they were afraid of him. I advised the family I would see what I could do. The family advised that they wanted some type of news blitz about Damien being missing near the opening of hunting season. I advised that I felt that would be a very good idea. 
they advised that they had gone to the newspapers and that the newspapers had told them they would not do anything unless the City of Warren Police Department gave their okay. I advised that I would talk with the city police and work out something with them about the news blitz. So I'm not sure what a news blitz is. I do know that there were two stories published about Damien in the local newspaper, one on October 12th and one on October 27th, asking hunters and those using the woods in the upcoming fall season to be on the lookout and to report anything they found that might be helpful to police. I also know that it wasn't until 2005 when another story about Damien ran after that. I know a newsroom can be a pretty tough place to get a story like Damien's off the ground when there's no hard news to report. Editors like stories about bones and arrests, not repeated pleas for help because none of those things are being found or happening, and that's fair. It's called news for a reason. It's just a bummer because long-form stories like this, a bunch of features placing multiple different photos of Damien in color above the fold, may have encouraged deeper public engagement. Talking at length about who Damien was and what his life represented, that of a veteran, a brother, a son, and a local resident, may have tugged at the right heartstrings. And also, there's no newspaper that can afford to do that for 20 years, and eventually people would stop buying papers with his picture on the front of them. People don't like unsolved mysteries. I don't have easy answers, but I do know that when it comes to active investigations, editors have the long view in mind. They need to be able to call police, ask questions, and get at least some information about a lot of different stuff on a regular basis. If you're going to be dipping into the well every day or so, best to only take what you need so there's a well to draw from tomorrow, too. I'm sure no editor was eager to reach out and push the police too hard on this one. I get it. No one at that paper would have greenlit a story without police comment on the record. Too messy, too much potential for bad shit to come out of it. Bummer, though, that sometimes it'd be that way. Anyhow, what the end of this note indicates to me is that Herzog believed he was being hired by the family and intended to write a letter to the City of Warren Police Department indicating such. He was going to go so far in that letter as to tell the police that they were to contact him as a representative for the family instead of contacting the family. I do not understand how in 2003 he's finally sitting down to interview Stacy, but it's beside Anthony Comenti at the police station. Having read through Herzog's notes on interviews with David, Stephen, and Bryce, I can tell you that I feel he decided early on what he thought happened, or at least who he thought was likely responsible. And to be clear, he never really went into detail on who or what he thought that was, but he wasted no time letting those people know who they were. John Herzog was a retired Pennsylvania State Police Trooper at this point. He'd been a cop for a long, long time, and that gave him great credentials as a PI, right? Access to departments, established rapport with law enforcement, awareness of crime and behavior, and probably a good gut instinct by that point. All the things he'd need to investigate some mad shit, yeah? But he also appears to have had the bedside manner of an old-timey cop-cop. And that, in my opinion, alienated the very people he needed most on his side. Bryce, Stephen, Dave, and eventually the family. Because whoever hired him first, Janine, you guys. Janine and her family hired him with money. He appears to be working as a support team member for the police by March of 2003. And that confirms for me more of what family members have said since the beginning. The process of investigating this case fractured them, pitted them against one another at times, and created secrets that hindered their ability to work together as a cohesive unit for Damien's benefit in whatever ways they may have had available to them. Janine said it in that video. 
Yep. Yep. That one, that damn video, that video is our Bible guys. You need to memorize it. Honestly, I'm not sure why you haven't yet. She said in that video that she was pulled into the district attorney's office at one point and told that law enforcement would only speak with her from that point on. Almost a month before we were able to put out missing persons flyers, they thought it was going to be a big drug bust. They were going to make their names for it. This is just my assumption and the rest of Warren because of the way we were treated. I couldn't get anything answered. They wouldn't tell us anything. Then I was pulled in with the DA Hernan at the time and said, they're only going to talk to me. They're not going to talk to anybody else. There's rumors flying around. There was searches done. Um, I can't say how many Morrison run, uh, Chapman's dam. Somebody said the reservoir, but there was a body not too long found up there. So that makes me lead to think how well was the reservoir done? There have been dogs, divers, where and who, I don't know. I'm not told. It's not that I'm going to show up, but I would like at least to thank the people that have come. This is the way the investigation has gone. Begging and begging and begging, begging for some information. Are you close? Do you have any ideas? That's not what happened because over the years, Anzia and Dana both had similar experiences. We'll tell you this, but you can't tell the others. You don't understand how this works, etc., etc. It's confirmed for me at the conclusion of Stacy's 2003 interview. Listen to this. I asked Stacy if she knows about drugs and if she has ever done drugs before. Stacy said that there was no mirror in the apartment, that neither she nor Dana took a mirror out of that apartment. Stacy was asked about suicide. She said that she didn't think Damien had what it takes to kill himself, but if he did attempt suicide, she felt that he would do it near where Ashley is buried. Stacy was advised that because of the nature of this investigation, she can't tell anyone what we talked about here today. Stacy advised that she would not. So in season one, when I interviewed Tony about the secrecy surrounding information, he talked about circles. You keep your circles small. You keep your information as private as possible. The less people who know, Tony said, the less chance for contamination. In a lot of ways, and in many, many cases, that's true. But it's also sometimes a way to exercise control over a situation that has nothing to do with solving a case. Sometimes it can be a way to confirm what you want to confirm or to manipulate a situation as the overlord of the complete story using people based on what information you do or do not dispense to them. Our ability to discuss our experiences, our knowledge and beliefs, as well as our ability to express our needs and desires and to advocate for ourselves in those areas, those are the definition of our personal power. By March of 2003, I'm willing to bet Stacy probably felt pretty powerless sitting in an interview room across from a police officer and the private investigator her own family had hired, being questioned about her drug use history and whether or not she removed drug paraphernalia from Damien's apartment when he went missing. Those interview rooms are not set up to empower the person being interviewed. 
I and the family want to see the rest of Herzog's notes. We want to know what else he documented, who else he talked to, and what else he learned because at this point, the family should have access to the report they paid for 20 years ago. For now though, and for next week, I'll start breaking out the statements that Stephen, Dave, and Bryce gave to Herzog. Until next week, kids, eyes and ears open, and let's find Damien. Smoke is a weekly true crime podcast written and told by me, Stacey Gross of Two Moms Media. Your producers are myself and Brian Hagberg of Your Daily Local. Our theme song is Diddy Six, written and produced by my father, Bob Gross. If you like this podcast, please take a second to rate and review on whatever platform you're using to listen right now. It makes a huge difference and it helps more people hear about Damien's case. If you have information you'd like to share with police, reach out to Detective Tiffany Post at 814-723-2700. If you have information you don't want to share with police, memories, or stories about Damien, reach out to me at 814-230-5855. Texting is the quickest way to get at me. If you're not sure whether what you have to tell me is worth telling me, it is. Please hit send on it.